Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Jackson or Meridian, or cruising along the coast in Biloxi or Ocean Springs, MPB goes with listeners wherever they go. Your company's message can go along, too. Go to mpbonline.org slash underwriting to find out how. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, February 20th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, House Homeland Security Chairman Benny Thompson joins us to talk about the president's emergency declaration and the new government funding agreement. And legislators continue the back and forth over state funding for Medicaid. Then, why state emergency leaders say now's the time to be weather aware. And after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, learn about a new exhibit featuring one of the most influential Mississippi creatives ever. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi 2nd District Democratic Congressman Benny Thompson says President Donald Trump needs to prove there is a national emergency at the southern border. Congress agreed to give the president around $1.4 billion to build a border wall, but not the full $5.7 billion he requested. Congressman Thompson is chairman of the House Homeland Security Committee. He spoke with MPB's Jasmine Ellis. As you know, that agreement allowed an orderly process for the government to continue to do what it's required to do for its citizens. There were 800,000 citizens uh, of uh, this country who worked for the federal government who lost 35 days of pay. So first of all, we made sure they got their pay. And in addition to that, it said that they would not be involved in another shutdown this fiscal year. Uh, so going forward, uh, government will stay open. Now, in addition to that, there were a number of things included in this package. There was an icebreaker for the, the Navy. In addition to that, uh, we have beds available for people coming across the southern and northern border uh, that perhaps are either seeking asylum or illegal immigrants. Uh, so we made a vet, beds available In addition to that, uh, just a number of programmatic functions that government is involved in, we satisfied that. So government moves forward. Uh, uh, There was $1.3 billion for a so-called border wall yet to be determined, uh, which some of us opposed, obviously, because we felt uh, other forms of barriers and other things would be better 
uh, utilized. As you know, President Donald Trump declared a national emergency to secure funding for the border wall between the U.S. and Mexico. What are your thoughts on that? It's a manufactured crisis uh, that really, uh, if you look at the numbers, doesn't exist. Uh, there's a downward trend toward illegal immigration to this country from our southern border. So this crisis that the president keeps talking about, you can't document it statistically, uh, but he can keep saying it and people will keep believing it. But all the information that we have available to us as members of Congress and me more specifically on the Homeland Security Committee says that immigration is down. It says that more engagement is needed in Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador, where the majority of people are coming from. And it also says that the majority of people who are coming uh, are women and children. Uh, they're not robbers. They're not rapists. They're not murderers. Uh, and this notion that this national emergency is because drugs are being uh, brought across uh, our southern border. Well, the majority of apprehensions of drugs uh, that come into this country, uh, we find at our ports of entry. Uh, I was in Brownsville, Texas last week, uh, and I saw the fine job uh, our CBP uh, men and women are doing in the drug interdiction process. But they need better equipment to help identify uh, where those drugs are being stored uh, in automobiles and trucks and what have you. Uh, so I support that principle. But this so-called national emergency, uh, which, as I understand it, the president expects to take this money from the military construction budget, our fighting men and women need facilities to train in. They need facilities to live and their families need places to live also. So for him to take that majority of that money from our military budget is not in the best interest of our national security. Some of your colleagues are saying that a border wall will help stop crime, human trafficking, and drugs from coming into the country. What are your thoughts on that? Well, again, as I look at the evidence, that is not what I see. The majority of the places they are talking about putting fence along the border, uh, some of those places are historic places. Some of them are in rivers. Some of them are in mountainous regions. Some of them are in Indian territory. It, you know, the best thing I can tell you is it's a 14th century solution looking for a 21st century problem. Congressman Thompson, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Earlier this week, we talked with Republican Congressman Stephen Palazzo on this very issue. That episode is on our website, mpbonline.org. 
In other news, Mississippi lawmakers in the House are in the first stages of passing state agency budgets. As MPB's Desiree Frazier reports, some legislators challenge their colleagues to bump up funding for one program. House Republican Sam Mims of Macomb, subcommittee chair for the Appropriations Committee, asked colleagues to pass HB 1650. The measure provides about $917 million for the State Division of Medicaid. But Democrat Omeria Scott of Laurel argued for more funding for Medicaid's home and community-based waiver program. She says there are 17,800 slots and a long waiting list for assistance. The program provides at-home care for the elderly, the developmentally disabled, and others with special needs. Those people could be able to remain in their homes and their families can have some respite and provide the love and care for their family members at home. Scott wanted to take at least $10 million from one of several other pots of money she said hasn't been allocated and use it for the waiver program. Representative Sam Mims says he's hoping to add more money, but not now. It is my hope, as I continue to discuss with the chairman of the appropriations, where we can add money to the Division of Medicaid. And so there was very little change with this piece of legislation from last year. Democrat Steve Holland of Plantersville offered an amendment to take $5 million from Medicaid's $917 million budget and give it to the waiver program. How many calls have you gotten? Mama needs to be on assisted living. She's out of money. And guess where Mama winds up? In a nursing home. Assisted living is $1,100 a month. A nursing home is $7,200 a month. Mims assured the House he is talking to Medicaid about the issue and understands their concerns. The amendment failed. The House passed the Medicaid budget without changes, 97 to 11. Desiree Frazier, MPB News. Coming up, find out why state emergency leaders say now is the time to be weather aware. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. If your washing machine is on the fritz most of the time, it's a bad lid switch or maybe even a broken belt. At least that's what the Internet says. But if you want some advice from a real appliance expert, tune into the next Fix It 101 when our friend Timmy McClendon from AC Remedies joins the Handyman Hangout. Leave the Internet for funny videos and streaming music and let Fix It 101 help you with your latest quick fix in your next home improvement project. Tune into the next Fix It 101 today at 9 a.m. only on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Heavy rains and maybe even some flooding are affecting many Mississippians this morning. It's a reminder that even outside of hurricane season, there's plenty of damage and danger associated with the weather in Mississippi. Governor Phil Bryant is declaring this week Spring Severe Weather Preparedness Week. Ray Coleman of the Mississippi Emergency Management Agency joins us with more about spring weather awareness. Well, it's our most severe, you know, weather season as far as the three months that we're talking about, March, April, and May. Um, that's where we see our most significant weather impacts. Uh, here in Mississippi, you know, we're no stranger to severe weather, but in those three months of March, April, and May, that's when it really kicks up. Um, in fact, the state has been hit with over 800, close to 900 tornadoes in those months alone since the National Weather Service started recording those statistics in 1950. The strongest tornado month is what, April? Yeah, it'd be April. It'd be April. And, you know, it's, you know, obviously tornadoes are the thing that we focus on the most because it causes the most damage. You know, tornadoes cause an average of, of eight deaths and um, 108 injuries per year in Mississippi and, and the millions of dollars in damage that is done throughout the years, billions of dollars in damage for that matter. It, it just goes to show the, the destruction that tornadoes can cause, but 
also the the um, I call, I'll call them secondary threats that come along with it the flash flooding uh, damaging winds lightning all of those things we want to focus on this week just to have folks you know in the know about spring severe weather and certainly with this rain I mean it it really could be a flooding event uh, there's yeah, going to be a lot of it you know it's funny you mentioned that that's one of our topics uh, during spring uh, severe weather preparedness week is flooding and flash flooding and as you see it right now for this entire week uh, we're going to see a lot of rainfall and it's one of those things that we we I guess we as a general public don't fear as much because it's not as destructive as a tornado, but believe it or not, flooding is the number one cause of weather-related deaths behind heat. Um, so just remember that old adage that you hear from our friends at MDOT, you know, turn around, don't drown, and if you live in low-lying areas, be sure to have an evacuation plan because flooding is a is a guaranteed killer or, or injury maker when it comes to severe weather. This is Spring Severe Weather Preparedness Week. What are you telling people to do to prepare for this time of year? That's a great question. We just ask folks to have, first and foremost, multiple ways of, of being able to receive alerts and warnings. Um, you know, on your cell phone, it's kind of already built in for the most part. I know it's annoying. Some people turn those alerts off because they ring late at night and they wake you up and they have this annoying sound. But those can be life safety measures. So when you have those weather alerts on your cell phone, don't turn them off. And if they are off, just go to your settings and turn them back on. They'll automatically let you know if something bad is happening in your area. Um, another great tool is a NOAA weather radio. Weather radios are great because when the power goes out, you can still receive that information because those weather radios, for the most part, nine times out of ten are battery powered. And so you can receive those mass notifications uh, straight from the National Weather Service. That's another way. Uh, social media, you know, as, as, as the younger folks and all generations now use social media, it's a great way for you to stay tuned to know what's coming your way, uh, getting fair warning in advance. MEMA itself has an app that more how quickly does it update and does it draw information from other agencies regarding weather it does absolutely so so we pull from a from a um, national radar site um, but the the free preparedness app and I'm glad you mentioned that for us you can search for it uh, Mississippi EMA in your app store and and the cool thing about it is it has our real time social media posts. So even if you're not you know open opened up on Twitter or Facebook, if you go to our app, you'll see the real time alerts that we are putting out there. Any news releases that we're putting out, uh, any any big time alerts that that, that, that we're going to help the National Weather Service push out, you can find all of that real time in our app. Right. Tell us what happens when there is a severe weather event. How does MEMA mobilize? What is the procedure and the process to respond? Sure. So for MEMA, we're, we're the state's coordinating agency. And what I mean by that, we make sure that all of our state partners um, have everything that they need as far as resources when it comes to uh, being ready for and responding to um, any kind of disaster or threat. Um, on the local level, we work very closely with our county emergency managers and doing a lot of training, making sure that they are ready um, to lead their county in anything uh, disaster preparedness and response related. And for us, we are manned here 24-7 now. Uh, we will always have somebody in our operations bureau um, that is kind of tracking the weather and any other threats that we may be having statewide. Um, so for us, we make sure that every state agency and our partners, even our nonprofit partners like Red Cross and and Salvation Army have everything that they need to help those folks in need um, if it gets to that level. And you mentioned your app. What about online? Does MEMA have a website people can go to for preparedness information? Yes, ma'am. We actually just launched our new and improved website. Very proud of it. It's www.msema.com. 
www.emergencymanagement.org. And on that website, you can find um, cool things like your local emergency manager. So depending on what county you live in, you can scroll right down. If you live in Smith County, you'll see the, the county emergency management director. Um, just contact information because, again, we assist them in having what they need, but it's, it's very good for the folks to know who leads your county when it comes to emergency management. So we have that cool um, list there. We also have uh, preparedness tips, how you can be ready, things as simple as what do you need to put in an emergency supply kit? We have that on our website because that's one of those questions we get a lot. What do I need to pack? So we give a great example of that on our website. Again, real-time social media. We even have a blog section that we've added so we can talk about the hot topics of the day. Um, so we're, we're, we're very proud of it, and we ask folks to go and visit visit our website daily because we'll be updating it daily with um, pertinent information. Ray Coleman is the Director of External Affairs for the Mississippi Emergency Management Agency. Ray, thanks a lot for all the good advice. Thank you, Karen. Thank you for having us. And speaking of weather, the National Weather Service in Jackson has issued a tornado warning. This is for Newton County in east-central Mississippi and southeastern Scott County in central Mississippi. A tornado warning until 945. At 838, a severe thunderstorm capable of producing a tornado was located seven miles southeast of Forest, moving northeast at 40 miles per hour. Coming up, learn about a new exhibit featuring one of the most influential Mississippi creatives ever. That's after a Southern Remedy Health Minute. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Jerry Lee Rice was born the son of a brick mason in the Lowndes County town of Crawford in 1962. Rice is considered to be the greatest wide receiver in the history of the National Football League and before that enjoyed a record-setting college career at Mississippi Valley State University where the stadium bears his name. After being inducted into the College Football and Mississippi Sports Halls of Fame, Jerry Rice, a three-time Super Bowl champion, was elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2010. This has been MPB Moments in Black History. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. Good morning, Sue. Good morning. I I noticed there is a resurgence in the Atkins diet because they're having ads for it on television. How could anyone think that that is a safe and helpful way to live? How can how can any medical professional anybody endorse the Atkins diet? Uh, for weight loss is the biggest thing that a lot of people are doing. So most of the physicians I know of still have some reservations about that, just with the higher concentration of saturated fat in it. People love it though. You know, some people lose a lot of weight and keep it off. I know a couple of patients that have done it. They've lost weight enough to come off of their diabetic medication and their, some of their high blood pressure medication. So it's not for everybody. They haven't been studied extensively. There's been a little bit of data to suggest that they don't increase your risk that much, but there's, there's smaller studies, they're shorter term, they haven't really looked at them over the long haul. I'm of the inclination, just my opinion, based on the data that's out there, that uh, they're not as globally healthy, certainly Eating that kind of diet for 20 years is going to increase your risk of cancer, uh, particularly things like colorectal cancer and pancreatic cancer. Those have all been linked to higher fat uh, content diets. So I don't advocate Atkins or a you know, higher fat diet necessarily for, for everybody just because it it's, doesn't have as much data as some of the other stuff. 
For more health tips and medical information, listen to Southern Remedy each weekday morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. The Health Minute is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Live healthy on the go with the My Blue mobile app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. More information at bcbsms.com. It's good to be blue. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Again, I want to pass along to you that the National Weather Service in Jackson has issued a tornado warning for Newton County and southeastern Scott County. This tornado warning is in place until 945 this morning. Robert Johnson, William Faulkner, Oprah Winfrey. Those are just a few of the names of Mississippians who have not just become famous, but who have had an impact on some part of American culture. But if you look closely at the lives of American children since the 1970s, you would be hard-pressed to find one who hasn't been touched by the work of Mississippi's own Jim Henson. Henson's Muppets have been key figures on Sesame Street, have found network television success on their own, and have inspired Henson's efforts to take even his non-Muppet puppetry to new heights. Mark Tullis of the Mississippi Arts and Entertainment Experience in Meridian joins MPB's Ezra Wall. They discuss a new exhibit at the Max that's all about the work of Jim Henson. Henson was not only a puppeteer, which he's best known for, but he was a film producer. He was an illustrator. He was an artist. He was a craftsman. He was a screenwriter. Uh, He's just uh, multi-talented, diversified interests. Um, and that all culminated in these great productions that he would create for television. So I think that's one of the things that people will discover in this exhibition. We cover his life from the very beginnings of his career all the way until his death. What particular things or artifacts? Talk about some of the some of the contents of the exhibits that people see when they when they visit. One of the things that visitors to the museum um, notice right off when they see the Henson exhibitions, how artifact rich the exhibition is. Not only are there 20 plus original Muppets and puppets and costumes and things like that, uh, but there are artifacts like letters that he wrote to other producers and friends and illustrations that he drew for various characters, uh, film script, uh, film excerpts uh, from his different productions. So it's a, it's a rich exhibition with uh, artifacts and content. And then there's this experience part of it, too. You can actually make a Muppet, uh, and they have all the parts, and you can put it together like a Mr. Potato and then film it. Uh, and then you can also take puppets and film your own little pr- mini-production and re- re-watch that whenever you're completed. That is so amazing. Yeah, it's it's great. So many figures that we know of from Mississippi who have achieved so much fame to the extent that they've, you know, some of our earlier blues singers have influenced the music that has been produced all over the world. You have people who are icons like Elvis Presley, people who are famous in certain circles like Eudora Welty or William Faulkner or whatever. But, I mean, really, you would be hard-pressed to find a Mississippian who has had an actual tangible uh, influence over our culture in the way that Jim Henson has. That's so true. And not only entertainment, but also in theater um, and in serious art. I mean, he was really impactful in a lot of uh, film uh, productions and things of that nature that that were really sort of serious uh, 
uh, subject matters. And one of the things that I think we, we discover in the exhibition, too, is Henson's um, ability to communicate. Um, one of the things that we learned, his daughter, uh, Jane, came to the opening and gave a lecture while we uh, that weekend and wonderful person. But she explained that her father really broke down the barrier of the stage because traditionally puppets are performed on a sta- with a stage in front of them. Well, Henson got rid of the stage and he made the camera frame for the television set, the new stage. So that was sort of... Um, revolutionary for the for the puppetry arts and for the industry. One gets the impression that he took his audiences seriously too, whether they were children or adults and and the the creations that he made it wasn't just kiddie stuff. Like he used puppetry and the innovations that he made in the ways that his characters are presented in uh, in material that's a lot more mature than just like Sesame Street. One of the things that I was most shocked about is the things that I took for granted as a teenager and as a college student, those productions of Fraggle Rock and stuff that came out later on. And then uh, then the the crystal, uh, the dark crystal uh, film. Those all were so uh, rich, and I didn't appreciate them then. I do now. Uh, But they really were uh, revolutionary works of art. Some of the things that I'm thinking of, you know, people know about Sesame Street, obviously. I mean, he he didn't create Sesame Street, but, of course, he developed the Muppets that have been an integral part of that show from the beginning. He he had, the you know, the Muppet show and then the movies that that came after that uh, for maybe a wider audience than just children. Uh, He was involved in, you know, Fraggle Rock. He was involved in Saturday Night Live in the first season, uh-huh. and all of the you know the the uh, the uh, what's that movie with Billy Idol in it? Uh-huh. I think uh, I can't remember. I can't remember the name of it. But I don't know what you're uh, talking about. yeah, I mean he's been involved in in so many things that that must bring such a diverse fan base to the museum for an exhibit like this. Well, it does, and we've been surprised at the audience uh, because we see them generationally coming, not only small children, but parents and the grandparents. They all come at one time. So if people are interested in, in seeing uh, Jim Henson, Imagination Unlimited, and uh, the other exhibits that are available at the Max and Meridian, how can people find you, get in touch with you, get more information? Well, the best way is to go to our website, msarts.org. That's M-S-A-R-T-S dot O-R-G. And we have all the information there. You can buy tickets there. Uh, You can find out about the restaurants and hotels there. We hope you'll spend some time in Meridian. It's the Mississippi Art and Entertainment Experience. They call it the Max, and it's uh, it's in Meridian. And Mark Tullis is the executive director. Mark, thank you very much for coming to visit with us. Thank you, Ezra. Thanks for listening today. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi.